Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight we're going to be continuing in our study through the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Proverbs chapter 2. So the overlying title of this whole series is going to be Living Wisely in God's World. Remember that, that this is God's world. We're in it to, to glorify Him and we're in it to learn about Him and we're in this world to do things uh, God's way because God's way is always best. And so we need to know how to, how to do that, how to navigate this world. You know, in the midst of everything that's going on, uh, many of the things that are going on in the world that are ungodly, we as children of God need to, need to be instructed in how to do things in a godly way. And that's what the book of Proverbs does. Proverbs chapter 2, the title tonight is Wisdom is an Action Word. Wisdom. We're going to hear tonight in this proverb about gaining and acquiring understanding and wisdom and um, and knowledge. Uh, But it's not just something that we sit back and allow to happen. It's something that we actually have uh, an active role in in our lives. And so... We're going, to, uh, we're going to see how that takes place as we go through the, the Proverbs. Um, if and then. How many of you know what the if-then statement means? Uh, if you're a math guy or if you're a science guy or a logic or computer programming, the if-then statements are used in all of those different things. It's used to produce a logical conclusion. So if one thing happens, then something else will occur as a result. And if the two statements are related to one another, then their relationship should be what they call testable in the, science, in the sciences. That should, you should be able to see how those two things relate to one another. Um, for instance, if leaf color change is related to temperature, then exposing plants to low temperatures will result in changes in leaf color. So an if-then statement. If one thing occurs, then another thing should naturally occur as a result of that. So um, in a formalized hypothesis, uh, the relationship between two statements is controlled. One of the statements is independent and one of the statements is dependent. If we relate that to our relationship with God, there's many conditional promises that God makes Um, that are actually affected by our actions. In those cases, we are the independent agent in that. In other words, we have free will to do or not to do according to God's ways. And God's actions toward us are dependent then on our actions toward Him. That's just the way He has it set up. The independent variable is the one that the scientist controls and the dependent variable is the one that you observe and or measure for the results. So we're gonna, we're, we can relate that to our relationship with God. So we have responsibilities. 
in our relationship with God. In Proverbs 2, we'll be looking at several different words which will define our responsibility. They're going to be action words. There are going to be things that we are, are called by God to do. These are the things that Solomon is telling us to do if we want a favorable result to occur. But in all of these things, remember, we have free choice to obey or not to obey. Certainly, as we go through the whole book of Proverbs, we're going to see that being obedient to God's ways always will produce a much better result. And so some of the things that we're going to see, some of the action words that we're going to see, we're going to see receive. We're going to see the word treasure. We're going to see the word incline, apply, cry out, lift up, seek, and search. These are all action words that uh, in Proverbs 2 that we are called to do if we want to see um, the uh, positive results from that relationship with God. The glorious results of obedience to those things is to understand the fear of the Lord and is to find the knowledge of God. Boy, it, it, it's a real easy formula if you think about it. Just obedience to God's ways and we can understand the fear of the Lord. When we fear the Lord, that's give Him reverence. That's give Him honor. Give Him the place that He deserves because, because He is God. Um, then uh, we will start to understand His ways and we will gain, gain wisdom, but we will gain godly wisdom. And then to find the knowledge of God, boy, that's great. You know, there are many religions where their God is not, is not able to be found out where their God is not understandable, where they, they don't have this relationship with God that the Bible wants us to have, that God wants us to have. And, and, and boy, how great it is to know that if we do these things, if we're obedient to His ways, that we can actually find out God's ways. The Proverbs 2 has several if-then statements. We're going to go through them. So the if-then statements are also called conditional hypotheses. As it relates to God, there are many things that are conditional. Several of these things depend on us fulfilling something which will result in God acting on our behalf. Or, on the other hand, by our disobedience, God may deny some blessing or benefit to us because we're disobedient to Him. But they're all, relate, they're all related to one another in some way, if-then. If-then statements. Some other ones in the Bible. In Exodus 19, Now therefore, if, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God's speaking to that special relationship with the nation of Israel. You know? And it was conditional upon their obedience. Now, of course, we've seen that, that over the centuries, um, not only the nation of Israel, but God's people, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, and even to today, there are many times where we're not obedient to God's ways. And we may be even seeing some of that in, uh, in our country today as we go further and further away from God's ways, we may start to see God's hand sort of, of protection maybe taken off 
of our country. Remember, our country was founded on godly principles, founded on, on Judeo-Christian uh, b- beliefs and ethics and morals, and we have really wandered far from that. So conditional um, statements, conditional promises of God depend on obedience however in first samuel twelve fifteen, it says however if you do not obey the voice of the lord but rebel against the commandment of the lord then the hand of the lord will be against you as it was against your father so we see this result if if there's disobedience and uh, two in the in the new testament and if you are christ's then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So again, a conditional promise of God here. So everyone doesn't obtain the promise of eternal life. Everyone universally does not obtain uh, eternity with, with the Lord. It's conditional upon whether we are of Christ. And if we are, then we are Abraham's seed, which he will, which he will bless and heirs according to the promise. So we see that if-then statement. And another one in Galatians, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So we see here how, um, how those promises are just given to us, and it's conditional upon what we do. So let's get into Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2 is really written as instructions from a father to his son. But the instructions lead us toward God. It's a picture of the way our Heavenly Father instructs instructs us in His ways through the Bible. Solomon is imparting the wisdom he received from the Lord to all who would hear. And as we move through this chapter, it's clear that this is not Solomon's wisdom. This is God's wisdom spoken by Solomon as it was, given, it was given to him by the Lord, it's done in a way that it looks like it's written to, from a father to a son. And our Heavenly Father desires for us to know these things. So reading in verses 1 through 4, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment, and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver, and search for her as hidden treasures. So here are the if statements. If, if, if. If you receive my words is the first one. So the first action word we see here is the word receive. In the Hebrew, it's to take, to get, to fetch, to lay hold of, to seize, to acquire. It even is spoken of in taking a wife um, uh, to marry. So most of those words that I just said in the definition of this word receive in the Hebrew suggest an action on our part. We sometimes think of receiving as more of a passive thing, right? Something we just sit back and we wait for something to come to us, then we receive it. But this tells us that receiving in this sense, is something that we need to be a part of. We need to step up. We need to do something in order to receive these things, in in order for us to fulfill this if statement in this first verse. 
We need to make a conscious effort to go after those things that should be a priority in our lives. Are we laying hold? Are we receiving? Are we seizing? Are we, are we fetching those things that God wants for us? Are we making His Word the most important thing in our lives? John 16, 24 says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. See, when we ask in God's character, when we ask according to His perfect will, He wants to bless us. He wants to, to give us an abundant life. And in James, it says, uh, you, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Are we, are we asking the Lord for things just for our own benefit, just for our own good or our own pleasures? Or are we asking for things that would glorify Him? Are we asking for things that would benefit others? Do we think outside of ourselves? Those are the kinds of things that I think James was saying there that you, you may ask, and, but you don't receive because you ask according to your pleasures, not according to God's perfect will. So then the next word we see in verse 1 here is treasure and treasure my commands within you. So this next action word here is to hide or to store up. You know, when we think of treasures and when we think of, of uh, you know, something that's really valuable to us, you know, we hide it, we accumulate it, we keep it safe. You know, this is the same thing that we're supposed to be doing with the Word of God. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be treating it as a treasure, treating it as something that we that we really value. You know, what do we value in this life? You know, is it things that are going to pass away? Is it things that are going to eventually burn up? Or is it things that last forever, like His Word? God is saying that we're supposed to be storing up, hiding away His Word. Psalm 119, David spoke here, about exactly this thing. He says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might, might not sin against you. You know, when we hide His word in our heart, when we know the Scriptures, when we, when we are always treasuring those things that are in the Bible, it keeps us from sinning. You know, it keeps us from doing those things because those, those Scriptures always come back into our minds. God has a reason for telling us to treasure His Word. It's so we won't sin against Him, but not only that, but so we won't bring harm on ourselves. Because you know that most times sin will bring, you, bring harm to yourself. It may bring pleasure for a season, but long term, it usually brings harm. So that's what Solomon here is saying when he says to treasure God's commands. Then in Luke Jesus is speaking here about uh, following our passions and that our heart will follow those things that we're passionate about. He says in verse uh, 34 of chapter 12, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is your passion? What, is, what are you considering valuable and important? 
Those are the things that your heart will follow. If you're, if you're considering the things of this world important, then your heart is going to follow those things. And your heart will be fully consumed by those things and not the things of God. The next action word we see here is the word incline in verse 2. So it says there, incline your ear to wisdom. Incline your ear to wisdom. In Hebrew, that word is to hear, to be attentive, to heed, to hearken, to pay attention, and to listen. But it's interesting. This is not just the act of hearing because we hear a lot of things through our ears. But this is something more. This is actually doing something with it once we've heard it. The word incline is to be attentive to. That's an action word. Hearing is passive. Inclining ourselves to God and to His Word and to godly things is an action word. Our ears can be deceptive because we can hear something, but it can have no effect on us. Listen to Jesus as He explains the parable of the four soils. Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Those by the wayside are ones who hear Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, for who believe it it for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Did you notice all four of those heard the word? All four of them actually heard the word of God with their ears, but Only one produced godly fruit. Are we listening only with our ears? Or are we listening to God's word? Are we being attentive to his word in a way that we would apply it? In a way that it would make a difference in our lives. See, we can hear a lot of things. And it can just go in, in one ear like the old saying and out the other. And not have any effect on us at all. The next action word is kind of uh, springs off this hearing and then doing something. It's the word apply. And apply your heart to understanding, it says. This is an interesting Hebrew word. This is the word nata. And it means to stretch out, to extend, to spread out. It can even mean um, to pitch, as in pitch a tent. To, to, uh, uh, to stretch something out, to spread it out over an area. Now listen, as we apply God's word to our life, we kind of settle into his ways and turn away from our ways. This is what it means to take the word, to hear the word, and to make application to our lives, not just hear it. We sort of settle in. You know, when we go camping and pitch a tent, you plan on staying for a while. 
You know, it, it's, it's the same exact idea that when you, you get, you need to, we need to get comfortable in God's ways. We need to apply it to our lives. We need to make a deliberate decision, you know, to, uh, to uh, spread out under the, under the teaching of, of the Lord. And, and sometimes that's a stretch from what we would naturally do. But he's saying here to make application. When you hear the word, apply it to your life. And we know that when we do that, it's always for our, for our best and for his glory. Then we see the word cry out. It says cry out for discernment. This is relating to God's word. It's, it's calling out to God for help. You know, the help we need is to be able to discern right from wrong. You know, to be able to discern in a very confusing world what's God's ways and what's man's ways, what would be glorifying to him and what would not be. Our choices need to reflect God's heart. And the only way that we can know God's heart is when we cry out for discernment, cry out to have him speak to us. That's the only way that we'll know. Another word for discernment is good judgment. You know, it's just having good, godly, biblical judgment in those things that we do. Boy, every day, that should be part of our prayer. You know, before we step one foot out, out into the world, God, I cry out to you today for discernment, for godly wisdom to walk this life, to navigate this world so that I, I do things according to your ways. The next, the next thing we see here is, is to lift up our voice for understanding. It's similar to crying out for discernment. But this also includes intelligence. And, you know, sometimes we, we may hear people say that, you know, Christians are just dumb sheep blindly following some ancient traditions. But God expects us to think. God expects us not to blindly follow. Actually, blind faith is not really a biblical concept. And he doesn't want us to leave our brains outside the church doors either. When we come in and we gather to study his word, he wants, it's time really for us to put our thinking caps on. This is serious stuff. This is, this is deep. And so we can't come into this without being fully engaged. So, when that says here, lift up your voice for understanding, it's, it's speaking about the intellect. In Isaiah 1.18, God says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as wool. God's inviting us to reason with him. What a great invitation. You know, he has all the wisdom in the world and he wants to impart that to us. It's like sitting under the, you know, the most prestigious professor at some uh, great university and just having that one-on-one -on -one where he's going to just pour into you all of his wisdom. Boy, the wisdom of God, he's inviting us to reason together with him. And he wants to give that wisdom to us. Chuck Smith said many years ago, uh, he was speaking out about the current trends of the time, probably in the 70s, um, you know, 
uh, like uh, what was going on in Zen, you know, a, a state of mind where you search for peace, inner peace with your body, your soul, your spirit, but it was absent of God. It was actually absent of, any, of the intellect. It involved sort of emptying your mind. Uh, part of the mantra is as you sit in the, in the lotus position, you sort of, you would just, you would empty your mind of everything. You would actually th- try to think of nothing. Can you think of nothing? When I tell you to think of nothing, you think of what I just said. It's very difficult. But it's, al- it's, it's unnatural to us to think of nothing. Our minds want to work all the time. Our minds want to find out things. You know, so he said about that time, today we live in an era of non-reasoned religious experiences. You know, just sort of sitting there and, you know, he would say jokingly, contemplating your navel. I think we've gone even further than that. I think we're, we're in that, that time where it's, there's no reason you know, people have no reason when they, when they want an experience. It's non-religious. It's non-reasoned. They're not thinking. They're not seeking after God. You know, and if they can achieve some so-called peace in their soul without any thought of God or without any intellect involved, they would choose to do that. But God wants us to reason. He wants us to think. He wants us to, um, to use our brains. The, la- the, the next two words here uh, is our final call to action here in this proverb. Seek and search. Seek and search. To seek is to desire or request something. To search is the actual act of attempting to find it. And as God is, uh, as it relates to God, m- most times through prayer. You know, we search we, we seek something, we desire something, and if our desires are according to God's will, if our desires are, uh, go along with his, with his mind, then he will, he will grant that. And it's, it's through prayer that we do this seeking and searching. It says in verse 4, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, you know, that puts a value on what we're seeking. You know, if any of us lost $100, we would tear our house apart to find it, right? If we lost an expensive piece of jewelry, we would do the same thing. Would we do that? Do we do that with God's wisdom? So all of these things that we've just seen, that's what, those were the if parts of the hypothesis. Those were the if parts. Now we're going to get to the then parts. In verses 5 and 6 in Proverbs 2, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So fear of God and knowledge go hand in hand. We saw that before. We see that in uh, Proverbs 1, uh, verses 7 and verses 20, 29. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Look at all he desires to do for us. As, uh, so we live more fruitful and productive lives for him. In verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. So think about that. God is storing up sound wisdom, just waiting to pour it out on us. He has more than enough wisdom to go around. 
You know, and if we don't receive it now, he sort of puts it away for a time when we're really seeking him. And he'll never run out. He's storing it up for all of those who desire it. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Remember the if statements before. If we do all of these things, look at the, look at the benefits. Look at, look at what God wants to give us. He wants to protect us. He wants to, he wants to uh, guide us. He wants to lead us. He wants to preserve us. And then in verses 9 through 11, then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. Think about that. Think about having that godly discernment that we can understand those things. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. That's being, that's being thoughtful about everything that we do in this life. This is not just sort of going out and, and uh, you know, floundering through this, this life without a thought. It's being thoughtful, contemplative, because we want God's wisdom to guide us. Then we will become wise in so many ways. All the decisions, all the choices we make on a daily basis, the small ones, the significant ones, it doesn't matter. How do we navigate this world without God's wisdom guiding us? You know, we'd be lost. He goes on in verses 12 through 15 to deliver you from the path, from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and whose, who are devious in their paths. So we see here God's wisdom will keep us on the right path, will keep us walking in the light, will keep us uh, from those who want to do harm to us and those who, who desire evil against him. God, will, God will, uh, will do that for us if we are obedient to him. Um, D.L. Moody said once, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. So it's our choice. It's our choice. We know if we're in His Word, if we make application to our lives, that we will live a more godly life. Verses 16 through 19, he goes on, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go down, none, none who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. And now he's he's a little specific here about one of the things that that um, you know God's word will will keep us from if we're obedient, and that's the destructive sin of adultery. You know, it's and again think about that first image of a father instructing his son. You know, as he's growing up, you know, instructing his son in all of the ways of the world. This is certainly something, something that he would want his son to be aware of as he gets older. You know, I, I, I think about the last time that we got together in the, in the Proverbs. I mentioned that we may see Solomon in the Proverbs giving some good, solid counsel. 
that he himself didn't take uh, very well. And this is one of those times. Remember last week in studying 1 Kings 11, we found out that in verse 3 it says, And he, Solomon, had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. So the exact thing that Solomon is telling us to, to keep away from he himself fell into later in his life. You know, he knew God had given him the wisdom. He just wasn't obedient to it. And uh, it's, it's really a shame. He, he turned out um, uh, to be a very uh, unfortunate case because of his disobedience. But th think about his, um, just his, his counsel. His counsel, keep away from the people who would take you away from God. You know, those ones who would t send you on the wrong path. You know, be careful who you associate with, basically, and especially in a relationship um, such as that, such a close relationship. And then finishing up in verses 20 through 22, again, this is the result of being obedient to God. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. The end result of all of the action words that we, that we saw tonight um, is summed up in these verses. Folks, we need to put the effort, we need to be deliberate, we need to be diligent in, in seeking God's ways in acquiring godly wisdom. And if we do those things, if we're obedient to His Word, if we search for those things, if we consider it valuable in our life, God will produce many, many fruitful things in our life. And He desires to do that. Most of all, by our obedience, we glorify God. And that's the most important thing. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.